morning. How are you this morning? Uh, will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, um, your word, uh, in your word you said that where two or more are gathered, you are here with us. Uh, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you that um, even though we don't deserve your presence, you still come. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, we would um, have any blinders removed, any any distractions taken away so that we could hear what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's always two voices coming at us, at least two voices. So I woke up in the middle of this one night and I felt this familiar nudge of God to do something. And it was uncomfortable. That nudge that he gave me was a little uncomfortable for me. So I argued with him. It's like, God, you know I'm going to look like a fool if I do this. And I'm not sure if I look like a fool, it will do anything for you. And, and finally, um, with a little bit of a wrestling match uh, that I had with him, I said, okay, I'll do it. And so um, I got this book from my shelf that said, Believe in the God Who Believes in You. I wrapped it up in newspaper and I put it on my pile to take with me to school in the, ne- the next day. You know, our living and our eternity is extravagantly influenced based upon the voice we listen to. If we hear God's voice and we do what he's asking us to do, our life goes one way. And if we allow the argument to come in and be more powerful than his voice, then other issues will, struggles will come in our life. Jesus said that his sheep know his voice. So today we're going to look at how God reveals himself his voice to us. Uh, <clears throat> before I get to the parable, I'm going to give you the context of the parable. So what happened was that Jesus healed this guy who was blind from birth, right? He heals him on the Sabbath, and his disciples were standing around him, and they said to him, uh, it's in John 9, uh, starting in verse 3, Jesus answered, They said, like, why is this guy blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Because they they believe that sin caused those things on people. And so Jesus answered, uh, uh, neither. It happened to him so you could watch him experience God's miracle. While I'm with you, it is daytime, and we must do the work of God who sent me while the night shines. For there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. As long as I'm with you, my life is the light, and that pierces the world's darkness. So this blind guy from birth can suddenly see, and you can imagine what's going to go on with him. And his neighbors are like, look at this blind guy that we've known since birth that can finally see. And his neighbors went, oh, no, but it happened against the law of the Sabbath. Oh, that's a problem. And we don't want to get in trouble. So 
they took the guy to the, the head of the church, the Pharisees in the head of the church. They took that guy to the head of the church. Um, and so the, that, uh, just before we go any further, that's a problem, don't you think? There's this miracle, this wonderful thing that happens to the guy, but they're so worried about what the church is going to do to them if they don't report it, they take the guy to the church. It's such a hidden it, uh, problem there, don't you think? So um, the Pharisees decide to investigate, and they ask the blind man. And the blind man goes, all I can tell you is that I was born blind and now I see. And the Pharisees are going, ah, we got to investigate more. So they bring in the guy's parents. So they bring in the guy's parents, and the parents come in, and they are so scared to be in the presence of the Pharisees because they know that anybody who professes Jesus is going to get kicked out of the church. They, they already know that. The Pharisees already told them that. Uh, the church had already tell, told them that. And so um, the only question they would answer is that he was their son and that he was born blind. That was the only question they would answer. Okay, that in itself tells you more if you think about it, about a problem that was happening, right? They cared, they knew that if they got excommunicated from the church, their social life would be over, that they would be ostracized by people and that it would be a problem for them. That's, that's what they were worried about, okay? And so finally they said, hey, listen, hey, listen, our son is of age. If you want to know more than the fact that Yes, he's our son, and yes, he was born blind. You just need to talk to him. They didn't want to get in trouble. Interestingly enough, the Pharisees go back to the, the guy who was blind, and they ask him again. So tell us what happened. They begin to interrogate him. Uh, in in uh, verse 25, the blind man starts to say, The healed man replied, I have no idea what kind of man he is, all I know is that I was blind and now I see for the first time in my life. But what did he do to you, they asked? How did he heal you? The man responded, I don't know. And you don't listen to me. Why do you make me repeat it? All you are want, are you wanting to be followers of him too? I don't know if that was a rhetorical question or a real question. So the Pharisees keep asking him some more questions, and then the, the guy says again, well, what a surprise this is, the man said. You don't even know where he comes from, but he healed my eyes, and now I can see. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but only, only godly people that do his will. Yet you have never heard of this man and I was born blind and he healed me and he gave me back my eyesight. I tell you, if this man isn't from God, he wouldn't be able to heal me. So the Pharisees now are a little torqued and they get mad at the guy. And they throw him out of the church. They're like, you're done. You're out of here. You're no longer in the church. And so he's out of the church and Jesus sees him. And uh, Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? The man said, tell me who he is. Just tell me who he is, because I'm interested. And then in verse uh, 37, Jesus replied, 
You're looking right at him. He's speaking with you. It's me, the one in front of you. Then the man threw himself at his feet and worshiped Jesus and said, Lord, I believe in you. And Jesus said, I have come to judge those who think they see. He's talking to the church and the church leaders and make them blind. And I have come for those who are blind, talking about him, and I have come to make them see. Some Pharisees were standing nearby and overheard these words, and they interrupted Jesus and they said this. So you mean to tell us that we are blind? The Pharisees are asking Jesus. Jesus said to them, if you would acknowledge your blindness, then your sin would be removed. But now that you claim to see, your sin remains with you. Forgiveness is easy. We just have to admit that we're wrong, right? So before we read the parable, I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of what uh, back in these times people were sheep herders. And at nighttime, they would move their sheep into a big pen. And you could see that it was a rock wall, all right? And there is a gate to that pen. The enclosure provided protection from wolves and other animals of prey. Uh, the, there was an opening for the sheep to come in and go out. And in the opening, the shepherd would sleep at that opening. However, in order for a thief to come, he would either have to go through the shepherd or he could climb over the wall. So understanding that picture, now we're going to look at the actual parable of today, starting in John 10, verse 1. I'm going to read the whole parable, but excerpts will be on the screen for you. Jesus said to the Pharisees, listen to this eternal truth. The person who sneaks over the wall to enter into the sheep pen rather than coming through the gate reveals himself as a thief coming to steal. But the shepherd walks right up to the gate and because the gatekeeper uh, knows who he is, he opens the gate to let him in. So the gatekeeper was something that kind of rang true for me like, Who's the gatekeeper? I looked it up and most theologians say, uh, most theologians said it was Holy Spirit. And that made sense to me because I feel like if the Holy Spirit's living in me and God's presence shows up, it's recognized by Holy Spirit, right? And the doors open. So that made sense to me. So that's what theologians said the gatekeeper is. Going on. And the sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd, for he calls his own by name and leads them out. For they belong to him, and when he has brought out his sheep, he walks ahead of them, and they will follow him, for they are familiar with his voice. But they will run away from strangers and never follow them, because they know it's the voice of a stranger. Jesus told the Pharisees this parable, even though they didn't understand a word of what he meant. Jesus went over it again. I speak to you an eternal truth. I am the gate of the flock. So Jesus here is identifying himself both as the gate, 
the way, the truth, the life, right? The gate. And he's identifying himself as the shepherd. Continue with the scripture. All those who broke in before me are thieves who came to steal, but the sheep never listened to them. So he's inferring to them that there have been people who have come over the wall who, who haven't been the true shepherd and they've been leading them astray, but there's something inside of them that knows that something's wrong. That's basically what he's saying to them. Going on. I am the gateway. To enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. A thief has only one thing in, the, in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. Jesus is really, in this part of the scripture, talking about the Pharisees and everyone else had, who had been gathered there to listen to him. The thief wants to slaughter and destroy them. He's, he's saying to them, are you listening to the right voice? Because the thief is coming over and giving you a voice. Are you listening to my voice? Or are you listening to that voice? The, the liar is trying to get them to be a part of a group and have pressure on them to perform and have pressure on them to do what the church tells them to do with the threat, if you don't do what we tell you to do, you're going to be booted out, right? The church is not trying to point people to Jesus, otherwise they'd be pointing people to Jesus. Continuing with the scripture. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. So I would tell you that a lot of people say, well, I don't feel like that I'm living an abundant life. You know, I don't feel like I'm living an abundant life. So what God, what he must be talking about is heaven. Sooner or later, it'll get good, you know, and I'll just hang tough until it gets good. But I would tell you that's not what Jesus meant. He said, I've come to give you everything in abundance more than you expect. He's talking about a spiritual thing here. He's talking about a spiritual relational opening with him. That's what he's talking about. And so we need that now. When we get to heaven, we won't need that because we're in heaven, right? We need that now. He says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life as a sacrifice for the sheep. But the worker who serves only for wages is not the real shepherd because he has no heart for the sheep. He will run away and abandon them when he sees the wolf coming. Jesus is, again, he's talking about the uh, establishment of the lost church at that time. And then the wolf mauls the sheep, drags them off and scatters them. Alone I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and I know those whose hearts are mine, for they recognize me and they know me. Just as my father knows my heart and I know my father's heart, I am ready to give my life for the sheep. And this is a good part about you and me right here. I have other sheep that will gather which are not of this Jewish flock. And I am their shepherd must lead them too. And they will follow me and listen to my voice and I will join them all into one flock with one shepherd. The Father has an intense love for me because I freely give my own life to raise it up again. I surrender my own life and no one has the power to take it up from me. I have the authority to lay it down and the power to take it up again. 
This is the destiny, the destiny my Father has set before me. So I asked the question, why would Jesus tell a parable to people he knew wouldn't understand the parable? He told a parable to people whose hearts weren't right. Why did he tell the parable? There are, there, in my mind, there are two reasons that he told the parable. First of all, there were people hanging around who didn't have the cold heart of the Pharisees. There were people in the Pharisaical ranks who had a softer heart than other Pharisees. And there were people hanging around who, didn't, who were lost. They were just following the church. And so Jesus told a parable for that reason because there were people that he could reach with the parable. There's another reason that I think that Jesus tells this parable is that when he dies and is raised again, many people are going to come to him because they saw this and heard this. So John 10 verse 19 says this, this teaching set off another heated controversy among the Jewish leaders. Many of them said, this man is a demon-possessed lunatic. They would only, why would you listen to a word, he said. But then there were others who weren't so sure his teaching is full of insight, they said. They are not the ravings of a madman. How could a demonized man give sight to the born blind? It's two voices, the establishment and what Jesus is telling them. So here's the question of today. Can we discern God's voice in the issues of our lives? Can we discern His voice in the issues of our lives? And where can I look if I'm not sure? I bet you everybody can, in this room can answer that question, right? The Bible is the first way that we can discern God's voice. The Bible is the first way. Where can we start if we're not comfortable that we're understanding the Bible? See, it was that voice I heard in the night. It was arguing with my voice of reason. And because I decided to listen to him. And we all have that opportunity, whether we're going to listen to him or not listen to him. Whether we're going to let our circumstances, our own feelings, our own interpretation, if we're going to let that control us or not. Because here's what's going on. The analogy Jesus gave in the parable is that, there are, that the devil's leaning over the wall or jumping over the wall trying to deceive, right? God's Holy Spirit will not agree with his written word. It, it just won't. I had this friend, okay, and he, he's, he, he's a Christian guy. And he struggled, he struggled his whole life in relationships. And so he's always looking for the relationship that God, he's praying, God, God, you said that man shouldn't be alone. Please open up a relationship. He just had one failed thing after another. And so finally he meets this lady. He meets this lady and he starts to date her. And he is driving down the street and he sees what he thinks is a sign from God that they should be together. So he shares with me this sign from God. And I'm like, well, I don't know if it's from God or not from God. Clearly you see it as a sign. But whether it's from God is something that we have to discern. So 
The problem is that this woman that you're attracted to is married. Okay? I guarantee you 100% that God's Word isn't going to go against His Spirit. So do I believe that you had a spiritual thing happen that opened up this thing that made you think that you should be with this woman? Yeah, I believe it. But it did not come from God. Right? There's a liar trying to deceive us by telling us half-truths. Telling us the things that we want to hear. Telling us things so that we can stay comfortable. The freedom and abundance God gives, he says, I am the gateway to enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. And sometimes we misinterpret that. We think of that as stuff. We don't think of that as relationship, right? He's promising abundance in relationship. He's promising abundance from the inside out. He's promising to meet our basic needs. He's not promising that we're going to have all this junk that we think of as things that he blesses us with. Now, we can get blessed with some of those things in our life, but his core heart is to bless us with himself and a relationship with us. So, here's the truth. We need protection. Our true and only protection is from God. There are forces and people who want to lie, kill us, destroy us, because there's just those forces. If we don't recognize that those forces exist, we're going to fall for the lie. We need to look at those things that come to us in our life with a vision that's saying, okay, is this a lie or is this an agreement with God? Because we desire and we need protection, we can be conned into a protection that looks one way, but it's really the liar trying to kill us and destroy us. Jesus said, as sheep know his voice. So God speaks to us through the scripture. We know that for sure. Uh, I bet some of you could quote this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, right? That's in 2 Timothy. God teach, uh, te talks to us through gifted teachers and preachers. He talks to us through gifted preachers and teachers. In Romans, it says that if we're, if we're a teacher, we should teach. If we're a preacher, we should preach on, to give to the body of Christ, right? In Romans 12. God speaks through our difficulties. In Psalm 119, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. How many times have you been in your life where something really hard has hit you? And because you look to God, because you're saying, Okay, God, what are you trying to, te te what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to hand me in this difficult situation? You get something. You get intimacy. I, I don't think you could live as long as you've lived in your life and not have experienced that. Right? God gives us intimacy with Him if we'll look His direction as we walk through that difficult stuff. God speaks through impressions of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, it says this, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And again, the Holy Spirit will not disagree with the written word of God. 
in, in, my, in that example I gave you, the Holy Spirit clearly was not the influence in that, in that guy's belief system. God speaks to us through his creation. Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. And then in Romans 1, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So God talks through what He's created. So God can speak through whatever or whomever He wants. In Job 33, it says, For God does speak. Now one way, now another. Our job is to have a sensory situation going on with us where we're, we're looking for what God wants to talk to us about. And when we get something, we're looking at that saying, hey, does that agree with what I know about Scripture? We're going to leave the protection of the pen and go out to look for food or Sheep go out to look for uh, grass and pasture, right? That's why they leave the pen. We leave the pen, too. We leave that, that deeply protected part. There's times in our life where we're deeply protected in the pen, and we follow Jesus. If we follow him, Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Before that, it says, He's leading me to green pastures. He's leading me to still waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If I follow him, so in, in the biblical times, the shepherd would come to the gate and they would call. And the sheep would follow them. Sometimes there were sheep of more than one fold. Only the sheep of that one shepherd would follow that guy. And then another shepherd would come up and other sheep would follow that guy. So if I follow him and trust where he's trying to take me, I'm not leading the way, I'm following him. So when I leave that protection of the pen, I need to follow him. And I can't follow him if I'm doing my own thing, if I'm following all my own ideas, if I'm going off on this tangent and that tangent about what I think would be good or what I think would be better. I, that's not following I've done that, and I know it doesn't work. Here's the thing. If I go off on my own little tangent, he's the shepherd. He wants me back. He'll find me. If I repent of that, he'll find me, and he'll bring me back. That's good news because he's a good shepherd. Our life is full of various times where we can be overseen by the shepherd in the pasture, and other times where we need more protection in the sheep pen. Following Him and being with Him is the only protection no matter where we are, whether we're in the pen or we're out on the hillside. It's got to be a relational experience with Him. The liar will, the liar will, you can expect it, the liar will lean over the sheep pen. The liar will come and attack you with half-truths. He's going to try to get you to believe a half-truth. He encourages our frustration and anger towards God by leaning over the wall and telling us that God doesn't love us 
because of this rotten junk going on in our life. He must not love you. Why would God do that? A loving God wouldn't do that. that have, you, have you never thought that or heard that before? Right? He's leaning over telling us those half-truths that appeal to our nature and our heart and our suffering, and he tells us those lies. And we have to decide who's the right voice. He tells us that God should fulfill all of our self-absorbed whims because a good God would do that, right? I mean, pretty much he lied to Adam and Eve, told them that they should be smart as God. God's just trying to keep you dumb. So eat this apple and you'll just be as smart as him, right? It was the lie. His lies get us to believe that we're ultimately in charge of our own spiritual protection. Do you ever think that you got to fight your own battle? That you gotta, that you got to stand up for yourself? The Bible says the opposite of that. However, when we enter more deeply into relationship with Jesus, we can focus on his voice knowing he is both the gate and the shepherd who we can trust. We begin to see our lives like he sees our lives and we begin to want what he wants. Intimacy comes out of wanting what he wants. Freedom comes out of wanting what he wants. I want to give you a few examples um, in, our, in the ministries of our church and uh, of some people in our church who I've heard about who have done this well, all right? Uh, so there's a, there's a couple of people who are in charge of our food ministry that gives out food to the, to the people who need it. And they heard, um, they heard God's voice and they felt like um, there was a group called the Jeffco Angels that they should connect with. And so the Jeffco Angels advertises for our food ministry, telling people who need food to come here. Because they listened and said, that makes sense. God would want, God's saying that to us that we should connect with these people. Um, they also welcomed a partnership of the residents at Villa Manor. So the residents at Villa Manor, they're, they're in a nursing home, but they want to help people who need to struggle. And so, like, they reached out and said, hey, we need somebody to help us help people who struggle. So they hooked up with our food ministry, and now our food ministry gives out stuff from Villa Manor, socks and stuff that you would hand somebody on a corner, things, basic needs, because somebody listened to God's voice and followed through. Uh, Frenzy, uh, as you know, you guys, uh, some of them, uh, you've been praying for them. They just came back from Fort Morgan. They did a, they did a VBS. They did some other stuff. They, uh, they hung out with the refugees. And there are a couple of occasions where people recommitted their life to Jesus in the VBS. And, they, and there, were, there were places where even uh, one of the Muslim women like opened the door and started asking questions for them. Isn't that amazing? See, if we listen... To Jesus, good things happen. Our VBS just ended, and I don't know any stories, but I can guarantee you 100% that there are. I can guarantee you 100% that amazing things happen because people heard, they contributed, they followed through, 
and God gets his way, and his way is that more people come to know him. Um, The people, the leaders of Frenzy also reported that even the students felt life callings coming on them and that they, um, they felt like they were hearing the shepherd's voice. So they stepped out, these young people stepped out in faith and they felt like they heard God's voice. I've had two or three different members of uh, our body of believers who said that based upon the teachings that they've been going through in Romans and our last series, that they have chosen to overtly say, I'm going to take time that I was spending this way and I'm going to spend it with Jesus, either in prayer, on walks around the lake, or I'm going to overtly say, I'm going to spend more time with him, either reading or praying to him. And they're, and they're watching. I've been getting reports of how they're watching God change their life, how God's opening opportunities in their jobs, how God's oper- opening opportunities in their relationships, their recovery from sickness and injury, because they started saying, I want, I feel God yearning and calling and wanting me deeper, and I'm just going to spend time with them. One member in particular, this is just such a cool story. One member in particular uh, said that she was driving home and, and heard, got a phone call and heard that her friend had a stroke. And so she stopped and made a bunch of phone calls to all the people. Oh, so-and-so had a stroke, so-and-so had a stroke. And then once she did all that, she started praying to God going, hey, you know, Lord, will you do something here? Will you do something here? Will you do something here? And then she started thinking, gosh, I should call some of my church friends and get them to pray with me. And then she heard God saying, you know what? I got this. Your request is enough. I got this. I got this. So she kept driving to the friend who was in the hospital. And by the time she got there, the symptoms of the stroke had dissipated. She listened, discerned, acted in faith. That's that's what this parable is about. So I get up in the morning. I take that book that I wrapped up. I go to Bear Creek High School. I'm standing at the mailbox in in Bear Creek High School, and there's this person's box that I'm putting it in. And I finally said, okay, Lord, if this makes me a fool, I'll be a fool for you. Boom, I put it in a box. Let me tell you what that yielded. I married that woman. I married that woman. And it was three dates after I started dating her about a month later. Like in three dates, I felt like God said, she's the one. She's the one. I I was 32 when I got married, so I'd been praying for a long time. Hey, Lord, is is there a person? Will you show them to me? Right? And he answered that and said, this is the one. You know what's really interesting? I know without a shadow of a doubt that I did not choose my wife. I know that God said that she was the one. So, see, in the good times, as we walk through the good times, the good times are easy, right? You're like, oh, it's great. But the bad times are when I need to know that God said, you're, you know, you're together. I set you up to be together. It's in those bad times because instead, of, I can answer the right question, right? 
in the, we don't talk about, we're, we're going to celebrate 29 years of being married here in August. We don't talk about divorce because we know that he said, yeah, he said, you two, you're supposed to get together. And when we struggle, and I would tell you, we struggle sometimes more than we're happy, more than we're content. We struggle. But in the struggle, I ask a different question. It's like the question I ask is, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach her? What are you trying to teach me? It has nothing to do with us splitting. It has to do with what he's trying to teach us. See, if we know his voice and we stand confident in his voice, then it matters. Every single person in this room who got married probably had these words spoken. What, the, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And if we take those words seriously, knowing that they came straight from God, that God blessed that union, then we deal with the struggles differently, don't we? I don't know about you. I just know that it's true for me. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, this morning we just uh, pray, Lord, with everything that we are and whatever faith that we have, that, that we would hear your voice, that we recognize your voice because we are yours, and Lord, that when we hear your voice and recognize your voice, um, that would be obedient and follow your voice and do what you tell us to do. Lord, thank you for protecting us. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for being the gate. Thank you for being the shepherd. Thank you for being, thank you for Holy Spirit being the gateway. Lord, thank you for having this whole thing in your hand so that if we turn to you, our life will be different. And it will be different because of our relational experience with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.